Amen. Would you give him thanks for hearing us tonight, being a prayer answering God? Amen. You may be seated tonight. I'm going to read uh, some scripture and uh, the reading. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read read a lot of scripture, um, and then I'm going to read it again. So uh, don't get mad at me tonight. But uh, I just um, I, I feel led. I, I found a, another version in another translation, and and I just want to read it. So I'm going to read a lot tonight, and then I'm going to read it again. Um, so, uh, my wife and son have got, uh, a little, uh, mm, friendly, uh, competition going on how long my voice is going to hold up tonight, but, uh, I feel better than I sound. It's just all of this, uh, junk that's going around in the air. So we're going to make it as long as we make it tonight, and uh, then we'll say amen, and uh, we'll say thank you, Jesus, uh, for being here with us. Is that all right? Amen. So I'm taking you to Romans tonight, chapter 8, and uh, what a great time we had on Sunday. So excited for 20, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of of their sins, and uh, that is something to celebrate. That's something to be thankful for. Um, there are churches that don't baptize 20 people in the entire year, and that's not being a slight. That's just saying that uh, I'm thankful to be a part of a place that God's sending hungry people to that are receptive to teaching and instruction and will be obedient to what the man of God preaches and what the Word of God says. Amen. Praise God. Baptism is still necessary. Amen. It's still necessary. It's for the remission of sin. Amen. A lot of people like to talk about the Holy Ghost, and I got the Holy Ghost, and that's good enough. The Holy Ghost is part of it. It's a package deal. You can't do it one without the other. Amen. Baptisms for the remission of your sins, the atonement or payment for your sins. I, I say it like this. If your light bill was about to go out, I could give you a gift of $100 to pay that light bill. But if you don't take it to the light company, you're going to for soon be in the dark. Amen. It works together. Praise God. So we know that tonight. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is familiar reading to us, but bear with me tonight. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to, be carnal, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
because the carnal mind is enmity or enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. I want to talk to you tonight from the thought of living in the Spirit. God's doing a great work around here, and many people are beginning their walk with the Lord and their journey with the Lord. And I know my audience tonight, I've got a group of people that have been serving the Lord for a long time. But tonight, uh, in this season, I felt led today in prayer to talk to us from this section of scriptures from Romans on the thought of living in the Spirit. Um, I was looking at some other translations today of this scripture, and I came across the message, and I didn't add it to my notes until I pulled up in the parking lot. I just felt led to read it because uh, the Message Bible is kind of a, 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 a modern-day way of saying some of this stuff that's in the King James. Um, so this might help you tonight. So bear with me just one moment, and we'll jump into what the Lord wants to say tonight. The subscript over the message says this. The solution is life on God's terms. And this is how the message says those scriptures. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. That battle between the flesh and the spirit is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny 
at the hands of sin and death. I like that already, don't you? God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as some remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now that the law code asked, and now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. But focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about themselves than they do of God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. How I many testify to that? Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this great God, but clearly present the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself can experience life on God's terms. Stands to reason then, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive back unto himself. When God lives and breathes in you, as he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with his spirit living in you. Your body will be alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with our new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you have received from God is not a timid grave 
contending life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and children, and we know that we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through, and if we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with him. Amen. I'm thankful for the scripture tonight, and I'm thankful that we don't have to try to do this on our own tonight. From the time of the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, receiving the Holy Ghost and beginning a new life in the Spirit has been a normal and necessary part of the new birth or the salvation experience. Make no mistake about it tonight as I set this foundation. What Jesus said to Nicodemus has not changed. It has not become outdated. It has not been overhauled, modified, nor improved. You still, if you want to walk with Christ, not only through this world, but out of it and into a new world that he has created for us, you simply must be born again. I love Sunday listening to Pastor as he proclaimed over our baptism participants that God was going to fill them with the Holy Ghost. Some came to the water with it. Others came to the water seeking it. But the message was clear. We all must have it. And we expect when we start being obedient to God's word that he is going to pour out his spirit. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, it was a common interjection of the day. Was it something to be taken lightly? It meant surely, Truly or certainly, and Jesus didn't mince words, but he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And I submit to you tonight any modern method that says otherwise is calling Jesus himself a liar. So you go ahead tonight and gamble if you want to. But I choose to believe Jesus. Because simply tonight, brothers and sisters, receiving the Spirit and in turn living in the Spirit has always been essential and will always be essential to salvation. Our flesh has to be overcome and it only happens through the Spirit. Even the beloved Apostle Paul, from whom we get most of the New Testament, from whom we take a lot of our teaching and we preach a lot, from the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, even 
the beloved apostle, wrote of the struggle within our own flesh in Romans chapter 7. Verse 5, he said this, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin. I looked that up today. The word motions uh, comes from a Greek root word called pathos, from which we get our word pathology, which is the study of diseases. The motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Paul was saying there, sin is like a disease that will attack your body until it ultimately kills it. He went on, verse 18 of 7, saying this, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And he concludes by saying, verse 21, so I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who? shall deliver me from the body of this death. Paul was struggling. Paul was letting you know that we all are going to face a battle between this flesh and its desires and its carnality when we try to live in the Spirit. But thankfully, he didn't leave us there, but he summed up the solution to the struggle in our text tonight, when he concluded, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that today. I'm thankful that the enemy can't drag up things that I put under the blood. I'm thankful that the enemy can't come dragging back an old dead carcass and say, you've got to live with this, and you've got to walk around with this, and you've got to carry this. But I can simply look at him and say, the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus is greater than your tricks. It's greater than your than your tactics tonight and I am assured that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus because we don't walk after the flesh but after the spirit come on somebody verse 8 he said so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God you can't please God in your flesh Verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So it's that simple, right? Put the microphone down, preacher. Close the book. Let's go home. We got it. Just get the Spirit. All will be great. No worries. No struggles. No problems. No issues. Everybody ready to say amen and go home? <laughs>
<laughs> but if you listen to Paul in chapter 7, you probably realize why we come to teach and remind us a lesson like this on a Wednesday night Bible class. And here it is simply. No matter that we know who we belong to, the devil never stops fighting. He will fight the new convert. He will fight the seasoned saint. He will fight the preacher. If you are made out of flesh today, he wants you. See, you got to understand the story in Genesis and understand it well because the curse that God put on him for tricking Adam and Eve and causing them to sin was that he was going to crawl on his belly and eat what? Dirt. And I don't care how sanctified you get. <laughs> and I don't care how holy you get. And I don't care how long you've been here. You're still just one big pile of dirt. What God formed us out of literally is the appetite and the desire of our enemy tonight. That's why we preach so emphatically that you must be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because if the Apostle Paul had to fight him, you and I, are probably going to have to. It ain't no probably in there. Throw that word away. Strike that from the record. Are going to fight him. And the only way we will defeat him is if we are empowered beyond our flesh and we are walking and we are living in the Spirit. Sounds easy, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, today, access to things that cater to our flesh are more rampant than ever. Every advertising campaign you see is designed to incite lust. Hollywood has no shame in its attempt to draw the masses in, censoring very little what we used to with Cringe yet, people don't even give it a thought. The music world has done whatever necessary to draw on the consumer's dollars. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing is taboo. Everywhere you turn and everywhere you look, there's an appeal to the flesh. And these things are designed to attract and capture us based on our carnal tendencies. And if we're not careful, they can lead us into fleshly perversions and addictions. And before we know it, we'll be trapped, incapable of fighting against them. So what can protect us from the onslaught of ungodliness on every hand? Only. The active work of the Holy Ghost within can guide, prompt, and persuade us 
to close our eyes and turn our head and walk away from temptation. This only occurs when the Holy Ghost lives within us and we in turn learn to live in the Spirit. Bondage is a miserable existence. The flesh, if allowed, does just that. It sells us into bondage and it brings us into condemnation. But thank God tonight for his overcoming power. Because being filled with his spirit gives us liberty and it frees us from the guilt associated with sin and even better, it brings us back into harmony and fellowship with God. And Paul taught believers that living as a servant to the flesh only brought struggle, trouble, heartache, and a sense of hopelessness. However, he declared to us our foundational verse tonight, for us there's no condemnation for those that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The reason was because Paul was trying not to leave them without hope. He was trying to point out that the condemnation they felt through the flesh could only be lifted by the Spirit. Why? Because the old law, Moses' law, was a law to the flesh. If I may say it like this and not offend you, it was an afterthought to sin. But the new birth was an antidote to sin. Moses' law was a sin coverer, but the new birth is a sin canceler. And he was teaching this because after receiving the Holy Ghost, Paul realized the difference in his life. That word now in Romans 8.1 referred to the new life Paul lived in the Spirit as opposed to to the old life of bondage and condemnation he lived under the law. See, you've got to understand it today. Where the law produces an ever-increasing burden of condemnation, without the benefit of forgiveness and liberty from sin, the Spirit removes that constant burden. It removes that condemnation, and it gives us power to walk in grace and faith. And Paul has lived on both sides of the coin. And he expressed an overwhelming appreciation for the victory and the liberty he found in the Spirit. Why? Because the law could not free us from the guilt or the power of sin. It could not provide forgiveness and liberty But according to Romans 3, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. 
Through the incarnation, God manifested himself in flesh and became sin for us. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? And now, through obedience to the gospel of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, we can receive his spirit. Amen. Water break. So now, because of Christ's righteousness, we can live a life that pleases God. That's why the religious world struggles and has no power. They can spell out the do's and don'ts to their followers, but without the Spirit, there can never be victory. This is more than knowing just what not to do and what to do. There's got to be something that empowers me to do what I know that I must. See, we tend to prop ourselves up on our own works. I don't, don't act like we don't. We like to boast of the things that we have done. We like to tell our pedigrees and our experiences and talk about where I have been and what I have accomplished. And we like to prop ourselves up on our own works and our righteousness, not because we are bad, but because the devil has never gotten out of our ear. That's why we do it. I'm going to help you tonight. If you didn't know why you did that, this is why you do it. Because he's never left you alone. He's never quit screaming that you have a false hope. He's never quit screaming that you aren't really saved. He's never quit screaming that you haven't earned this and that you're still in sin and you still fall short. Anybody in the building tonight? And because of it, we seek to Relieve the condemnation that we feel from his continual chatter by justifying ourselves with our lifestyles and our actions and all the things we are doing. So let me help you tonight. Our righteousness is simply filth. Ooh. In God's eyes. Isaiah 64, 6 teaches that. Well, let's stay with Paul tonight because in Romans 3.10, this is what he said of us. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. According to Paul, the entire human race has a common problem. We are all bankrupt when it comes to righteousness. Because being right with God is beyond our reach apart from Jesus Christ. And Paul understood even after all those years of obeying the law, he viewed his own spiritual account as severely lacking. 
Read 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. It's interesting to see how Paul's writing in Romans 3 refers back to the Old Testament. If you're a studier of how New Testament connects to Old Testament, Romans 3.12 refers to Psalms 14.1 and Romans 3.13 to Psalms 5 and 9. And these referenced verses illustrate that even under the law, mankind realized the law was not the solution to the sin problem. This is what the law did. This is what it did. The law exposed man's guilt, but here's the good part. It led him to Christ, the only remedy for the problem of sin. Why is Paul trying to emphasize this? It is because he has a revelation that he wants us to get, that God had not promised that the law would bring victory over sin, but instead he promised a Savior. Further, he promised the gift of his Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for Christ tonight. I don't know about you. The law could not lift man from sin, but it could expose his wickedness and help him understand that we have a desperate need tonight for a Savior. Come on, somebody. I'm thankful for that. That's why we don't tear the Old Testament out. That's why we don't shy away, but we use it to prove only obedient faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection will deliver mankind from sin. No matter how religious, moral, or upright a people may consider themselves to be, it is simple. They are lost apart from faith in Jesus Christ. You can exercise confidence in your own goodness, but ultimately you will fall short of eternal salvation. I'm not going to preach a story, but remember the rich young ruler. He could check off all the boxes. He could say, I've done this, I've done that. I've kept this law from my youth up. But when Jesus said, drop it all and follow me, he couldn't pay that price. We must realize tonight we cannot achieve righteousness apart from faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I still love that song, Nothing But the Blood. It said, nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus, naught of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can remit our sins, and that's why Sunday we put 20 people down in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. God expressed his love for the fallen human race through the life and death 
of Jesus Christ. And without him, redemption from eternal destruction is hopeless. But the good news is that Jesus did not come to condemn us, but to save us. Aren't you thankful for that? See, most people see him as mad and sitting up there and waiting on you to make a mistake and knock you over the head with a billy club or hit you with a bullwhip or a zapper or something. That is not our God. He is literally sitting in his chair in glory, rooting and cheering you on and screaming, you can make it. Because he's already paid the price. So don't leave here tonight with a misunderstanding of what I'm teaching. The law was beneficial, and we needed it. I'm not denying that nor suggesting otherwise tonight. I still got the Old Testament, and it's still here. The law was good, but this is its weakness. It left mankind in a quandary. It gave him knowledge of his sin. And it revealed our moral deficiencies. But it did not empower him to rise above them. And I'm trying to relate to you tonight that only Christ's spirit can enable us to live in agreement with God's word. Listen to this scripture. Ezekiel 11, 19. 20. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and my ordinance, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. He is For you tonight. God is for you tonight. All the way back there in Ezekiel, he decided, I'm going to them. And I will let my spirit dwell in them, and they shall be my people, and I shall be their God. All of our failures, all of our mess-ups, all of our mistakes has not changed God's mind. We are still the apple of his eye. We are still the prize that he wants to bring back to himself. We are still what he works for and strives for tonight because he wants us to be his people and he wants to be our God. And apart from him and his indwelling spirit, the flesh rules your life. And without the spirit of Christ empowering us to conform to the will of God, we will find ourselves subject to the influence of our sinful nature. It's kind of like what Paul was saying. Although a person may want to do better, they have no power on their own. Because we have inherent tendencies toward 
sin. We were born in sin, shapen in iniquity. Struggling. Paul preached Romans 7 under the law. He recognized what was good and right, but he struggled with how to perform that which was good. One of the wonderful benefits of living in the Spirit is the power to walk in obedience to God's will. Now, don't forget, Spirit-filled people must realize we still going to live in conflict with the flesh. I've heard it described like this. A man had two dogs or inside of you are two dogs pinned up. And if you continually feed the spirit man, the spiritual man will become the stronger of the two. However, if you feed the fleshly natures, if you neglect the spiritual man and you feed the carnal man, you're going to ultimately fall to the influence of stronger carnality. Anybody heard that example used? What we feed our mind determines our behavior. We each make daily choices as to what we feed our minds and our spirit. This in turn becomes the dominant force that drives and directs our lives. The reason serving God and living a spirit-led life seems to be a constant struggle for some is because they allow too many wrong influences to weaken their spiritual man. Oh, goodness, I got to be good. You can't, you can't come, let me just, you can't come down here on Sunday and shout with the choir and get your groove on and get your praise on and go home on Monday and try to put that into an old lifestyle. The scripture said it's like putting new wine in an old wine skin. It'll bust and it'll all be wasted and it'll all be spilt. That's why people live on roller coaster highs and deep depressing lows because they never know how to take what God does for them and walk after the spirit. Cut out those influences. Cut out those temptations. Cut out those things out of your life. Oh, hallelujah. We got to choose wisely and carefully all the people and the pastimes and the interests and the hobbies and the forms of recreation and the entertainment. Do I need to continue tonight? All of the things that vie for our time and vie for our attention. And we've got to make sure that we choose wisely so that we are feeding our spiritual man and keeping him strong or else that flesh is fed and it will have greater control. Why should we be careful of the influence we allow? Because they direct and shape our lives. Things we encounter cause us to be carnal or spiritual. When we allow the flesh to have the upper hand, it diminishes our spiritual progress. And we show a lack of spiritual maturity. 
our development. Paul mentioned this in his first epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as, as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am a Paul and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? He drew a parallel between immature conduct and carnality. Things like envy and strife and division. We could preach a little while. We could stay there all night. I'm spiritual, but I can't get along with my brother. You can't rejoice when another gets a blessing. You're the founder of the church tabloid page. Come on, somebody. I could stay there a little while, but I'll just say it like this. Carnality results in spiritual immaturity. It allows the flesh to rule rather than the spirit. Matthew Henry's commentary said this about those Corinthian believers. He said that they were much under the command of carnal and corrupt affections. Lord, don't let that be said of us. The flesh, not the spirit, dictated their attitudes and their appetites. So tonight, we should learn a lesson from them. When we argue, when we fuss, when we criticize and judge Carnality is ruling us. Ouch. That's good teaching. If the Corinthians had allowed the spirit instead of the flesh to control them, they wouldn't have acted like they were acting. Determined to have their way. Bickering and fracturing relationships. And the same is true for us today. Our attitudes and conduct reflect whether we operate on the spirit or under the influence of a carnal mind. I hope I'm helping somebody tonight. What are you saying tonight, preacher? What are you trying to get to? I'm saying this. We have got to learn how to check our attitudes and our conduct and make certain they line up to biblical teaching, instruction, correction, Spiritual authority. Why? And this is why I brought this lesson tonight. I don't just come and shoot from the hip when it's my time to speak. I talk to the Lord. I ask God, what should I say to your people? And the reason I came reminding us tonight that we are called to live in the Spirit and not walk after the flesh is because we are in a special place in this church right now. And I know that much of what I've said tonight is just a reminder to most of us professionals. <laughs> but this is why I felt led to cover the subject tonight in that particular way. Growth to a church 
new people coming in is a perfect place for the devil to go to work. Paul taught that church leaders had to learn to use wisdom when dealing with carnal and immature people. Why were they carnal and immature? It's because they were new to the game. So understanding this, if you go back and look how Paul dealt with the church at Corinth, you'll find he neither fussed, he didn't fight, he didn't ostracize them, but rather he sought to nurture maturity to them by meeting them where they were. He willingly fed that milk like a mother nursing her infant child. He did it with consideration and he did it with patience because he knew if I can be patient long enough and get them the fundamentals. They will grow and they will mature. So he sought to minister to infant and carnal believers at their present level and not at the level he thought they should be. Let me just insert this here. Be careful what you criticize. The objective of the church is to restore people to fellowship with God. And if that is happening, rejoice. Give Him praise. Give Him glory. Say thank you, Jesus, that another has found their way back to you. Because not everyone is where you are, and not everyone knows what you know. Let the ministry minister to everyone at their own level because when all is said and done, here's the bottom line. We are all just trying to make it to heaven. I'm not after anyone with this tonight. I'm after a spirit that would love to see failure. I'm after a spirit that would disguise itself as concern sometimes. I'm attacking a devil tonight who doesn't like to lose territory and will work through anyone to keep it. Don't be that Vessel, pray, fast, seek God, step up in worship, be ready to pray around the altar, be ready to understand that not everybody knows him like you know him, but you might be the link that can connect them to him at that very moment. Because if you're not living in the spirit, 
In times like these, your filthy flesh, my filthy flesh, let me put it on me tonight, can rise up against us and make us an enemy to God's purpose. So I close with this tonight. Whether you're brand new here or you crossed the Red Sea with Moses. Crucify the flesh. Feed the spirit. And I'm telling you tonight what the Lord told me in prayer. When my people start walking in my spirit, I'm going to transform everything in this place until the plans I have for my people are fulfilled. I'm telling you, God is doing too many good things around here to let an enemy come in and try to wreak havoc among his people. I'm simply going to come to church and rejoice and thank him that his spirit is here, that the anointing is here, that his glory is here, but in turn I'm going to know that the enemy's going to try to get on my back. He's going to try to stop what God is doing so I'm going to guard everything that comes in my circle and I'm going to make sure that it's not feeding this carnal nature that I have so that I start looking around and wondering three minutes Stand up tonight. We got to walk. We got to live in the spirit. This is a special time and a special season. And those of us that know him have got to continue to be the strength until those that are getting to know him get that foundation that we've been so blessed to be built upon and there is no telling what God's going to do in this great church through you great people if you believe that would you just give him praise tonight Lord Jesus we thank you tonight for your goodness and your mercy come on give him a worthy praise thank him for 20 baptized in his name thank him for new people and what he's doing among us